Well, you heard uh, that was uh, Dr. David Falk who uh, led us in that uh, prayer uh, that we watched, um, and he mentioned uh, he prayed for Trent, who uh, is over here to my left. Uh, but uh, since you were expecting Trent, I'm going to do my best impression this morning. Um, I just want to uh, talk a little bit uh, at the beginning here uh, about a word in the Bible that we hear a lot, and it's the word holy. Um, in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 1, the Apostle Peter uh, says that we are to be, as Christians, are to be holy in all we do. For it is written, be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. And so this word holy, it means to be set apart. It means to be separated from everything else, distinct unique, and it's just other than everything else. When God told the people of Israel to keep the Sabbath day holy, what he meant is this day is not to be like every other day. It's not a work day. It's to be a day of rest. But he said that the tithe, when the people gave one-tenth of all their produce and their livestock and so on, he said that is to be separate from the rest. You don't use it to live on. It's not part of your livelihood, but you give it in service to the Lord. And in the same way, when God calls us as a people to be holy in all we do, what he's saying here is that we're set apart from the rest of the world. We are set apart for his glory. We're to be a new kind of community, um, a different culture than the culture around us. We are to stand out from the rest of humanity. And so when God says, be holy in all you do, he's talking about our behavior and our attitudes. He's saying, you be different than all the rest. Now, this series of messages that we started uh, just a few weeks ago called uh, What Matters Most, How Our Values Shape Us, um, it's, it's about our core values. Core values are what shape the culture of our church, how we behave and how we think. The core values tell us what's truly important to us and hopefully to God. How we think about ourselves as the body of Christ, how we make decisions, how we lead, how we organize ourselves to accomplish God's mission, how we treat each other, and how we respond when things go wrong. Uh, two weeks ago, I talked about our first core value, which is pray first. That means that we pray and seek the Lord in the decisions that we're making. We listen for his voice to guide us. And then the second core value is dare to believe. I talked about that last Sunday based on that famous chapter in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. And we learned there that faith, to dare to believe God when he speaks and say, God, I will trust you just the way that Abraham did, the way Moses did, and many of the patriarchs of the Bible. It's saying, yes, Lord, before I know the details. It's believing that God can do what is not humanly possible and obeying even when it defies common sense. So pray first, dare to believe. Those are our first two core values. Today, uh, Trent McDowell, who's to my left here, is going to come and uh, just talk to us about our next core value. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Trent. Sounds great. There you go. So one of the things that uh, when I was asked to do this message, I turned to Brian and I, and I asked him, 
Maybe we could do this together because what you may not know is that your pastor has been working tirelessly. He has been putting in a ton of effort to be able to articulate and share these values that he believes strongly are for your church. And so when I was asked to be a part of this, I was like, I would love for us to tag team this so that you could still be a part of these values. Pursue peace. That is the value that we are on now, that we are looking to pursue peace. Now, when I hear the word pursue, I don't know about you, but I often have certain pictures that come to mind. What shows up in your mind, I wonder? For me, it's usually like the chase scene in a movie, right? Where there's somebody's done something wrong, and then there's like these crazy parkour moves where people are like jumping through things and over windows and not over windows, usually it's through a window. Over a window would mean into a wall. Um, <laughs> but whatever the case might be, I don't know what you picture. Maybe because today is Valentine's Day, happy Valentine's Day, you are picturing a different kind of pursue, right? Chasing the woman of your dreams or the man of your dreams and you, know, you do ridiculous things and you behave in odd ways just so that you can get there and meet them and connect with them. All of the values... Um, that we've talked about so far, uh, I would say of all of them, this one seems to resonate most uh, clearly with our world today. Um, Pursue peace. If a government said, uh, let's pursue peace, most of us would agree with that effort. We'd be like, good on you government, let's do that. Now if a government said, let's pray first, there would be an uproar, and understandably, there would be. The first two values of pray first and dare to believe have a distinctly faith-based, Christ-centered tone to them. Now, while you and I might know that pursue peace is no different, right? That in fact, it is built into the fabric of the gospel and the call of God on his people, but it also feels like it could be a value pursued apart from God. And this makes it a little bit tricky. So on the one hand, the pursuit of peace, nurturing unity, fostering harmonious relationships is the perfect bridge between those who do not know Christ and those who do know. You believe in peace? So do we. Uh, You believe in doing the hard work of fostering harmonious relationships? So do we. Jesus, in fact, is known as the Prince of Peace. Jesus, above any other character in human history, demonstrates this value. His pursuit of peacemaking between God and us brought him to the cross. His fight for reconciliation led him to that place of great sacrifice. So on the one hand, it's this perfect bridge. But on the other hand, it can be a bit of a slippery slope. It can be an easy place where we drift off of the centrality of Christ and we find ourselves uh, maybe even kind of following a new religion where it's not about the life, death, resurrection, and hope of Jesus Christ. It's just about us doing good works in this world. And for this reason, we have to make sure that our understanding of the pursuit of peace is firmly tethered to Scripture. So, This is a huge topic. The pursuit of peace is not something small. So we're just going to take a little bite out of this entire banquet today. So let's get into it. And considering it is Valentine's Day, let's start with as close to home as possible. The pursuit of peace 
within your relationships. Yes. I'm not talking about like the global pursuits of peace or our local pursuits, as important as those are, and that cannot be ignored. But living this life close to home, intimately, we do not want to become champions of peace, but still carry bitterness, resentment, revenge in our own hearts. We don't want to be caught serving and fighting for the good over there while our own lives internally are crumbling and there is no peace. We can see in media and the news there are too many Christian communities or Christian leaders that have advocated externally doing great works over there while their own internal lives, their own relationships are crumbling around them. This is not okay. The pursuit of peace in your own personal life is critical. Have you ever chosen to make things right with someone after screwing up? Have you ever chosen to rebuild trust after it has been broken? Have you ever taken that first step towards a fracturing friendship and humbly admit your part in this entire mess? Have you ever watched a relationship start to crumble right in front of your eyes because of selfish pursuits and attempted to do something about it? If that's any of you, you know how hard it is. It is so terribly hard to pursue peace. It is this for fighting for real peace within our personal lives is so difficult that I wouldn't be surprised if most of us, many of us, on many occasions within our lives, have abandoned the idea of peace, that it's just not even possible. The bitterness or the hurt is so deep that the pursuit of peace is maybe the most terrifying or the most unpleasant idea ever. Or the guilt and the shame of your actions, it feels like a 50-foot wall and there's no ladder, there's no holds, and there's armed drones flying around that as soon as you start to climb up, they take you down. Whatever picture you have, the shame and guilt works so hard against us to pursue peace in our personal lives. And yet, it would seem pretty clear within Scripture that this is not a neutral subject. The pursuit of peace is central to the call of our lives. Psalms 34, 14 says it like this, Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And also in 1 Peter 3.11, he quotes it again and he says, uh, They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. And then one of our main passages for today, Romans 12.17-21. Let me read it out for us. It says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Paul, really, I know Jesus said it, but do you have to say it again? Like, do we have to have this reinforced in our lives? If he is thirsty, give him a drink. Really, can't he just just wither away? 
In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's an interesting statement, and we don't have time to unpack the complexity of that kind of reference. Um, But ultimately, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Turn from evil, pursue peace. Do good, seek peace. Paul is quite forcefully imploring the Roman community and us to combat evil through the pursuit of peace. But why? Why, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, should you live at peace with everyone? If I'm going to climb this wall, (laughs) this impossible wall, and do this hard work, and I mean really, really hard work, If I'm going to do this, I need to first know that if I'm going to step into the messiness of conflict and tension and hurts and bitterness, I need to know that it's worth it. Because when this stuff gets hard, and it always gets hard, we need to know that it's more than just because we should. That will not keep us going. We need the why. Viktor Frankl, psychologist, author, Holocaust concentration camp survivor, he says this, he who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. He who has a why to live for can bear with almost any how. I love that quote. It's so foundational. And for us to be able to pursue peace, we have to know why. Where does this foundation take place? And for Paul, we want to stay within the text. We don't want to jump and go somewhere off and cherry pick in all sorts of different passages. So we're going to stay in Romans 12 and see where this takes place. So if we get to this Romans 12, 17 to 21, why do we pursue peace? What is the purpose? What is the end goal? We have to jump back to verse 9 and then all the way back to verse 1. Verse 9 says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Sounds a bit like the Psalms passage and First Peter passage we heard already. So the Romans 12, 21, or 17 to 21, finishes off this beautiful little section about love, where he's saying love must be sincere. Genuine love, literally meaning unhypocritical love. Just like in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul has these spiritual gifts that he's talking about, and then he moves to love. He's like, you do these things for love. For the whole point is love and mercy. It's all about love. It's all about love. Devote yourselves to honest and real love. Be devoted to each other on a family level love. Try to outdo each other with giving honor. I love that passage um, because one of these things that uh, many of us might not know is that in the Roman Empire, honor was a value. It was a virtue. It was king. To bring honor upon yourself was something you wanted to do. So you wanted to take credit for the things that you did. You wanted to make sure that your status was higher and higher and bigger and better than everybody else. That was considered a normal thing. And in this passage, Paul is saying Give away honor. Give it to other people. It it shows us that Paul has clearly discovered something about the best kind of life that he's willing to suggest to Romans. Romans who were pursuing honor, that they should flip that on its head and not take honor, but give honor away. 
this upside-down wisdom we see in that passage. And then we move onward, and we see these bullet-point commands on how to love well. Joyful in hope, be patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, practice hospitality. Uh, Verse 14 says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Live in harmony. Don't be proud. So by the time we get to verse 17, right? So by the time we get all the way to verse 17, we hear this theme of love ringing in our hearts. This is the center. And this is why we adopt all of these practices, all of these difficult things, why we adopt the pursuit of peace into our lives. And it's so that we can love well. But let's go all the way back to verse 1 now of chapter 12. And it says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We do all of this, and I'll continue reading in a second. We do all of this because of God's mercy. God's mercy is the foundation of all of these efforts. Because of God's mercy, we will pursue peace. Friends, we were dead in our sins, without hope, without confidence that our lives were headed anywhere meaningful, lost and confused humans going our own way, doing what we think is best in our own minds and in our own eyes, and with no hope. And then Jesus Christ, God's living presence, came down from heaven to join in our suffering, bear our burden, carry our shame, the one true peacemaker who reconciled us to the Father. All of this done so that we could have a way through life, that we could have life. Jesus becomes the guide, the path, the ride. Our Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, the eternal one, giving us life and giving us hope. And it is because of this, because of this mercy from God, that we have access to a life that can be enjoyed in the midst of suffering and challenge. It is because of this mercy that we can even consider the hard work of peacemaking. And it's in light of this great gift that Paul spells out what life is really all about. When he says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is all about us understanding how we can love well. How we can do his love in each situation as best as possible. And this is not easy and it, de- it requires divine intervention for us to be transformed in this way. But it's because of God's mercy. It's because of God's mercy that we have the way to live a life that is reflecting the nature of God, which at its core is love. And the cool thing is, the beautiful thing is, is we have that pursuit and then we can enjoy it. To enjoy life and know to have a certain hope, hope that it will translate into even more joy in eternity. So put it in another way, we can become, to become like Christ and love it. That, that is the centerpiece of us and what we are going for. That's the centerpiece of what Paul is driving at, is for us to become like Christ and love it. Right? It's not a burden. It's not a thing that we carry that we hate. We love it. And now some people might not want this. I know for myself that I want this. 
I want my life to be free and full of joy knowing that I have this purpose, I have this why that makes the pursuit of peace possible. Because when it gets hard, which it will, you can go back to this, God's great mercy, what he has done for us. And it brings us all the way back. So why pursue peace? It's part of how we live a life of love and fulfill our great call and purpose. It is impossible for us to live rich, full, meaningful lives without the pursuit of peace. Paul's momentum from verse 1 all the way to the end of that chapter is driving home this necessity. Our call is to love like the prince of peace. And friends, this is hard. And this is why you will never be able to get there without first understanding what Christ has done for us and the peace he has taken on and given to us. And we're going to never know lasting peace. We will never know the, know the joy in this life if we are unwilling to pursue peace. But here's the good news. In Christ, we can. In Christ, we truly can pursue it. Romans 5 verse 1 reminds us of this. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, because of Jesus Christ, we can know peace with God. And from that foundation, you can develop the skills, grow in the grace, and partner with the Holy Spirit to make peacemaking a part of your life. And there are few things more satisfying and meaningful than the pursuit of peace starting in our own personal lives. And at this point, I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Brian to talk a little bit about some of the how. Okay, well, thank you for, for that, Trent. And um, I just want to refer back to that uh, one verse in that passage, Romans 12, 17 to 21. I encourage you to memorize that passage and really let it live through you. But verse 18 in particular, it says, if it is possible, stop. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Psalm 34, 14, it says, seek peace and pursue it. It's not a passive thing to be at peace with people. We need to be proactive. We need to make a choice that we will pursue peace. And that's the core value, and it'll come up there in the screen. Pursue peace. That's something that we want to characterize the culture of this church. Um, so there's some barriers to doing this. You know there's barriers to it. And I want to just talk about one of them today. The first barrier is called conflict avoidance. Um, we tend to avoid conflict, some of us more than others. Uh, I remember uh, many, many years ago, my wife used to say to me, because I grew up in a home that my parents were divorced. Uh, they used to fight there was yelling and screaming, and there was pounding on the table. And I grew up, I didn't enjoy conflict. Uh, maybe less so than most people. And so my wife, sometimes, you remember saying this, Colleen? She's over here. And, and she would say, you know, when there was a problem, she'd say, Brian, you just bury your head in the sand. And uh, you remember saying that, don't you? Okay. 
Uh, and she was right. I would bury, that's me in that picture. Uh, actually, it's not, but it could have been me. Um, so we pursue peace, not by avoiding conflict. If this is not about, let's just smooth things over. Let's pretend it's not there, and then it'll go away. No, it won't go away. We pursue peace, not by avoiding conflict, but by engaging conflict. Um, so cancer is an illustration, and I'm going to quote something out of a medical journal. But cancer uh, is a conflict within the human body. Think about it. Here's a quote. There is a very literal conflict going on inside the body of someone with cancer. The person's immune system is battling a proliferation of cancerous cells. Cancer is unlike other illnesses because there's no foreign antigen which causes the cancer. Listen, the cancer is caused, essentially, it's made up of the same stuff as the rest of the body. These cells have gone rogue, and now they're self-attacking the self. And then we need to decide how we're going to fight back against that war within our own bodies. We are the body of Christ. And sometimes there could be a cancer in the body because uh, there's a cancer perhaps in relationships. Um, So why do we avoid conflict? Why do we bury our head in the sand? Well, here's the big lie. Here's the big lie, and I hear it in many versions over and over again. If I say anything... It's only going to make things worse. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever said that? I'm sure most of us have heard it. It's only going to make things worse, so let's just let sleeping dogs lie. Mm -mm. What we're afraid of in conflict is what this cartoon depicts, is that what it's going to end up with is a shouting match. Nothing gets resolved, and everything becomes inflamed. And I want to just tell you, that I have, I made a decision years ago that I would be a peacemaker. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And I just made a decision based on the theology that, uh, that Trent talked about. Because God made peace with us when we were at war with him. And he made the first move. He took the initiative. And I said, I'm going to be a peacemaker. So if it is possible, and it's not always possible... If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, on me, live at peace with everyone. Um, I just made the decision. I'm going to be a peacemaker. Negative consequences of not engaging conflict are we end up with pseudo-community, a false sense of community. We wear a smile when we approach somebody. Hey, how are you doing today? we got a metaphorical knife behind our back. Nothing of value gets done when we don't engage conflict. We end up, and this happens in, in workplaces where people sabotage each other. Relationships actually devolve, they get worse and worse. There's more bitterness, there's more rancor, uh, grudges, unforgiveness, and it ends up destroying not only the relationship but the people in that relationship. So there is a way to en- engage conflict in a healthy way. There's a book that I've recommended, and I've I've talked about this in sermons years ago, but there's a book by Susan Scott. It was a New York Times bestseller. I hope you're going to go and order it today, really. 
It's called Fierce Conversations. It was a New York Times bestseller. It was in the business section. And when I got this book, it was recommended to me at a conference I went to. And um, this book, Fierce Conversations, is, you know, she says things like, come out from behind yourself into the conversation and make it real. She says, everyone wants one person in the world to whom they can tell the truth and from whom they will hear the truth. Become that person. She uses phrases like interrogate reality, provoke learning, and then enrich relationships. Because what happens is often we sit around the dinner table or the boardroom table or in the small group that we're in, the Bible study, and there's an elephant in the room that nobody is acknowledging. And so she asks this question, you know, what, are, what issues are we avoiding? How often do we sit in these gatherings where the real issues are not being discussed? And what's the financial, mental, emotional, and spiritual cost of not addressing the real issue? So she asks in this book, repeatedly, when you're with people in a relationship, ask yourself, what am I pretending not to know in this situation? What are we all pretending not to know? And so this is biblical, and I'm going to close out here. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says this, Therefore each of you, and he's talking about us as a body, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. When we put on a false face, but our hearts are at war, that's called falsehood, folks. And that's dishonest. And he's saying, we can do better than this. I, my prayer is that First Church will be a place where we can practice the pursuit of peace. If it is possible, it is not always possible. Let me ask you a question. Was Jesus at peace? Sure he was. Was everybody else at peace with him? Not on your life. That's why they crucified him. If it's possible, you'd be at peace. God has called all of us to be peacemakers. He's called you to be a peacemaker, to be a daughter of God, a son of God. So be the first. Make the first move in the relationship and extend the hand of reconciliation. Trent. There's nothing easy about this. Um, And we see in the scripture passage within Romans uh, that there's this this beautiful little moment and it says that basically give give the Lord your your vengeance, your desire to enact revenge. A huge barrier for us is is that resentment, is our revenge, our desire to see justice fulfilled according to our understanding of justice. And this is such a huge barrier for us. And it's a barrier for me. I'm sure it's a barrier for a lot of us. Because why would I engage in healthy conflict if, if I'm going to have to give up my resentment? Like, what about my, like, my rightness in this? I don't want someone to like, trample all over me because I take the first step or I'm the one that raises my hand just to have it cut off. There's that fear of being the first in pursuing peace. 
But in Scripture, it's clear. Paul is, is so strong in this. You've got to give that to the Lord. Because let him be the one to be the one to find justice in some of these situations. Give that to him so that you can come without ulterior motive, without personal agendas and personal vendettas, and you can actually come to the table of conflict with the willingness to own your part, even if it's a small part, with the willingness to make that first sacrificial step. And you know what? Even if you get backlash, even if you get hit, even if you get hurt, even if it causes suffering, you're anchored in Christ. You're not anchored in what that other person's going to say or do. It's in Christ that you have your confidence and your identity. You're not looking for their approval. It's not, uh, it's not approval seeking. It's being honest with yourself and willing to hit that very vulnerable place. And our culture has gotten vulnerability all really confused and messed up. And really, we see in Christ that vulnerability is power. It is powerful for us to be willing to be in a vulnerable situation. And us as Christians have a beautiful the beautiful arsenal of Jesus Christ allowing us to be completely vulnerable, willing to be uh, subjected to mockery and ridicule because we can stand on Christ and we have a firm foundation. So as we go from this place and as we wrap things up, I want to encourage all of you, if, that, if you have never made peace with God before anything else, if in all of this that you've heard and you, there is a wrestle inside of yourself about where you are at with God, You need to know that God is making the first step towards you, desiring reconciliation. And I encourage you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, to give up these resentments, give up the bitterness, surrender these things to him and say, Lord, take control of my life. I need you in charge. I can't run myself. These resentments are killing me. Let God have that place. Surrender that to him. And then, friends, I want to encourage you to engage in healthy conflict. Do not avoid conflict. And yes, it might get messier first, but in the long run, it is what we need to fight for. Because if we pursue peace within, the, within our own small community, within the body of Christ, then like that illustration of cancer, that is so important for us to understand. It's not something out there. We have to deal with what's going wrong within our own communities, within our own lives. So I would just encourage all of us to pursue peace in those ways. Um, let me conclude. In, in James 3, um, verse 18, it says this, And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. It's this beautiful picture that when we choose to engage in this, when we go after this, that we are able to see a harvest of righteousness. And it's a beautiful thing to go after. So I would encourage all of us to take this concept, put it to heart, wrestle with it, and begin to find ways to take that first step, that first step in rebuilding or reconciling or engaging in in peacemaking in your life. Let me pray for you, and then you'll be dismissed. Gracious Father, you came, and you stepped into our world. You offered peace through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, you are the peacemaker. 
And you invite each and every one of us to be at peace with you. And you invite us to surrender our lives to you, Jesus. To seek your forgiveness. To give up our lives and to trust you totally. Because, Lord, without trusting in you, it is so hard. We can't pursue peace. So, Lord, may we go to you first and find peace with you. And then, Lord, give us the wisdom, give us the skills, give us the courage, give us the relationships to have the capacity to pursue peace as best as we can, to clean our side of the street, knowing that we are doing everything that we can and we leave the rest to you, Lord. We don't, we don't fight for things that we can't fight for. Lord, give us your peace. Send us today on this Valentine's Day with a conviction to love well. And that one of those areas of loving well is to not avoid conflict. To build that trust and to be vulnerable. To take that first step. Lord, thank you. We love you. Be with us this week. Amen. Friends, go in peace.